Matthew chapter number 23. If you join me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter number 23, a message entitled, My Daily Decoration. My Daily Decoration. Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along with us. We have some, what we call a pew Bible. It is located in the back of the pew there. If you want to grab one of those, we'll be on page 583 there in that pew Bible. So page 583, which is Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and we'll look towards the end of this passage. It's quite interesting in this passage, we have Jesus Jesus Christ speaking, and he pronounces eight different woes upon a certain group. And you say, what is a woe? Well, it's a warning. It's really a passing of judgment upon the object, the people to whom he's speaking, that will fall on them if they stay the present course, if they continue upon the same path. It's really a heads up saying, hey, wait a minute, you're not doing what's right. You've gotten off base, you've gotten off direction, and so you're wrong and you need to do right. That's really what these woes are. It's a heads up to change their ways before it's too late. So who's it directed to? Well, it's directed to the religious elite. We might say it's directed to the regular prominent churchgoers of that day, the temple attendees, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were looked at as leaders and the prominent ones within Christianity, or not Christianity, Judaism, and uh, understanding, uh, again, that kind of the context would be those who are prominent churchgoers. We pick up in verse number 25, if you will, with me, and we'll look at just a few verses here. Verse 25, we'll read down through verse 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's a strong statement, isn't it? For ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead man's bones, and of all uncleanness. Verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. No doubt many of you and many of us have started already decorating, putting up decorations for the fall and Thanksgiving. Uh, Some of us are looking ahead already to Christmas. We're anticipating or dreading having to decorate. Getting things ready and making it all look nice, befitting of the season. And, and you'll strive probably to dress up your house in one way or the other. You'll strive to make it look festive. You'll decorate it. Well, if we were to use a biblical term for that, we would say this. You are going to adorn your house that is, in such a way that is fitting for the season. That is fitting of uh, the festivities and so forth. Let's say that come December, you decide at invitation, of course, to come over my house. And you decide, and you come over, and uh, you walk in the door, and, and as Erica does, she has it beautifully decorated and so forth, and you walk in, but all of a sudden, something strikes you, and it seems awfully strange. Of course, you're very kind, and you don't say anything, but you begin to notice that it's decorated, but it's not decorated for Christmas. It's decorated for Valentine's Day. There's red hearts everywhere, and there's little pithy sayings, and there's little dishes of conversation hearts, and, and of course, there's chocolate somewhere in shapes of hearts. And, it's, and you're like, man, this is just odd. It's in fact, you're looking, and, and there hanging from the ceiling are little cupids, modestly dressed, of course, and just hanging from that. And, and man, you're like, man, what? what and, and I look at you, and I'm like, hey, how do you like our house? How do you like the decorations? And like a good church member, you lie. You say, we love it. This is, man, it looks great. It looks fantastic. 
Now, in all honesty, no, it doesn't. It's not fitting at all. It's not Valentine's. It's just, what world are you living in, Pastor Henry? <laughs> we thought you were off your walker. This confirms it. <laughs> what, where are you living? What are you doing? What's, no, no, it's not fitting at all. It's not proper. It's not oh, the season that we are living in, what we're celebrating, who you are as, a, as an American. and celebrate. No, 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 as a Christian, it's not befitting. It's not proper attire. It's not proper decorations. There, there ought to be a manger scene and maybe a Christmas tree with some presents, some beautiful lights, and, and maybe some uh, Bible verses up. And it, it ought to be befitting the Christmas season and some Christmas treats on the counter, Dr. Pepper cake, Funyuns, and so forth, okay? It, it ought to be befitting what we know. It, it ought to be what would be considered proper adorning for the Christmas season. It's interesting, in 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 4, Jesus Christ, uh, yea, through Peter, God speaks and tells you and I that as a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a proper decoration, there is a proper adornment. Interestingly, much like this passage here, uh, in that one, the context, he's speaking to wives, but here's this, the focus. He's saying this, don't worry so much about the outward adornment, Focus on the inward adornment. Look inside first. Allow the outside to be taken care of. And that's what even we'll see in the moment. This passage speaks of here in Matthew. Christ says that. He says, look on the inside. Make sure you look. And, and literally, that's what is told to you and I in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 4. You say, what does it say? This is what it says. But let him, speaking of the adornment, he says, listen, you're adorning. Don't worry so much about the outside but you're adorning, let it be the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the uh, uh, ornament, the decoration of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Notice where he directs the first focus of the adornment on the inside. That in hidden man of the heart bursting out with a meek and quiet spirit. That's going to be the ornament. That's going to be the decoration that comes out when you take care of the hidden man of the heart and making sure that it is all that it ought to be in Christ. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever gone to a house during the Christmas season and from the outside, you don't notice really anything, that, but you walk in the house and it's like Christmas wonderland. Like, it is so perfectly decorated and lights and ornaments and everything. I mean, it is so wonderfully decorated. You're like, watch out, Bronners, you have competition. <laughs> this place is just lit up. I mean, it is, looks like a Christmas wonderland. It is fantastic. Uh, what have they done? Well, they have given priority in their decoration, their attention to adorning to the inside of the house. May I submit to you, don't miss it this morning, believer, follower of Jesus Christ, redeemed one, we just sang about, and I love how the Lord orchestrates the music, we just sang about how we are His, we've been bought by Him, we've been redeemed. And Christ is telling you and I, and I submit to you this morning, that way too often Christians fell, believers fell, in this instruction from our Savior, from our God. It's that you and I are to look to the hidden man of the heart, of, uh, excuse me, of the heart, and the outside will take care of itself. Look to the hidden man of the heart, and the outside is going to follow suit. See, verse 26 says, and I think this is so crucial, look at it in our passage. Thou blind 
Pharisee. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Now, that's a principle, isn't it? Now, notice it. He says, he's referring to them, as we'll see, as being wide sepulchers, as being cups and platters that are clean on the outside. And here's the reality. Jesus Christ establishes a simple principle of this. Listen, sometimes we get so focused on the outside, making sure that in our obedience and everything, we, we fulfill what we call the Christian duties and responsibilities. And yes, those are good and they need our attention, but they are only good and they only need our attention when the heart is right. That's what God wants. That's his desire. That's the point here. Cleanse within. And what does he say? The outside's going to take care of itself. It'll follow suit. May I just put it in, in, in simple terms? If you are holy and godly within, it can't help but ooze out. It can't help but come out on the outside, being obvious and clear to everybody. And that's literally what Christ is teaching in this passage, one of many principles we see before us. And yet, you know, the fact is this, I have met many a Christian, don't miss it this morning, I have met many a Christian, as I am sure you have too, that looked like they had it all together on the outside, but when the doors of the heart come flying open, and you say, Pastor Henry, well, what if they keep it closed? What if they keep it locked? My friend, the heart's doors will fly open. You let struggles come. You let problems come. You, you let adversity come. You let uh, issues with other people, family issues. You let them being hurt or offend, uh, offended. When those things happen, invariably, something causes the, the doors of the heart to open up. And you know what we sometimes find is revealed? Those things that Jesus Christ points to in the hearts of the Pharisees and scribes. Remember, the spiritual elite, the prominent churchgoers of that day. He said these things are found therein. Greed, indulgence in pride and fleshly desires. He repeated twice, hypocrisy, fake, uncleanness, iniquity, sin. It's sad to say, but I fear that happens way too often. That way too many Christians, we have such a focus on the outside that we neglect what Jesus Christ has made a reoccurring principle throughout the Scripture. And I will say this, at the same time, or on the other hand, I have seen many a Christian who strives and works to adorn or decorate themselves starting with the heart. They are spirit-controlled, spirit-led, spirit-yielded, and their life on the inside, as they have yielded such, it comes flooding out on the outside. What do we call that? The production of the fruit of the Spirit. They have love. They have joy. They have peace. Well, this person over here had it, but, but they went about it all wrong. They may have decorated the outside, but it, it was not a fruition, a product of the heart inside. Then you have the, the genuine, sincere, authentic believer who says, you know what? God cares about my heart first and foremost. And as he cares about my heart, as I align it to his heart and his desires, then it will produce the fruit of the Spirit in all manner of obedience that someone might say, well, that's a good Christian duty. That's a Christian responsibility. That's what a Christian ought to look like. Oh, my friend, we'll see as it plays out in this, in, in this message how crucial it is for you and I to make sure that our hearts are what are, is originating what we look like as a Christian. You see, on the one hand, the one life, 
that has a focus on just decorating the, out, the outside, often for people or for their own sense of value for a short time. They achieve and receive applause and praise of men sometimes. Other people may look at them. They may get the pat on the back. They, others may say, well, they, they seem like a good Christian, and, and they may have the admiration of others. But the other, I would submit to you, the genuine believer who starts with the heart, achieves and receives the commendation and praise of God in heaven. It is he who notices. It is he who commends. He is the one. There are several ways that we fall in or we fail in our daily decorations, our daily adornment as it should be. The first is borne out here, certainly, it's this, is a wrong motive. Having a wrong motive. The Pharisees and scribes, what were they caught up with? Well, we know it. This passage and others have taught us they were caught up with what all the folks were writing about them on social media. They were caught up with their press release. They were caught up with what people were saying and how they looked at them. And literally, we would say this, they, they were so concerned about what the crowd thought about them. That's why they stood on something to pray. Could you imagine going there and standing on something? Okay, is everybody watching? Now I'm praying. Sorry, camera guys. Okay, hey, that's what they did. Look at me. Bring, give me the attention. That's what they lived for. This was their motive for doing what they did. Did they look like great Christians? Yeah. At, on appearance, or great followers of God, I should say. Did they look like that? Yes. On appearance, they looked great. You, you couldn't find a chink in the armor. But my friend, it is not you and I that evaluate. It is God in heaven. He is the judge. And he sets the criteria. And he says the heart is where it all starts. The motive has to be correct. They were concerned about their number of likes and hits on social media. It drove them, the comments of the people, noting their piousness uh, of how they lived and what they lived for. Success was not measured by what pleased God and if they pleased God, but rather, what is my image like before people? What are people saying about me? What did they comment on my post on social media? I mean, literally, that was their focus. This was their motive for being our thing. Well, man, if if I'm just at church regularly, people think I'm great. If I'm just doing this and, and I talk like this, then people are, people are going to think great things about me. Can I just tell you right now, that's the wrong motive. That's a wrong motive for living obediently to God's Word. For being a Christian who is holy and sanctified. For being a Christian who, who tries to mind what we say and mind our thoughts and make sure our actions are pleasing to God. It ought not to be with the motive of, oh, I hope people think highly of me. Think better of me. Think I'm a great Christian. It ought to simply be what pleases my Lord and Savior. What does He say about me? You see, friend, Christ calls them here on the carpet for the wrong motive. It had produced in them an overzealous focus on the outward. Get it? Their cup and and platter, Christ says it. It's beautiful from the outside. It's glistening clean. Could you imagine, as I sometimes do, could you imagine washing dishes and getting a pot, or uh, the thing I hate the most washing dishes is a 9 by 13 pan. That's something that was baked into. I don't know why I hate that, but I hate that. Things stuck on the inside. Could you imagine, let's say it's not clear, but it's, it, 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 you couldn't see through it. Could you imagine just worrying about the outside and not, not caring at all about the inside? Eric would be looking at me very strange. Hey, this is clean. And she looks inside and or she looks on the outside. Yeah, there's nothing on the outside. That's gorgeous. Look on the inside. Oh, my goodness. 
This is why I don't have you wash dishes much. I mean, that's terrible, but that's what he says. You look great from the outside. You're glistening clean. And I love the description of the whitest sepulcher, a burial place. He says, listen, and this was a practice among the Jews in that day. They would literally whitewash the outside of the sepulcher to keep it up. We today, some go and put things on graves and so forth, make sure flowers are there and so forth, clear around things on the headstone. Well, that's what they were doing here. And he's saying, you look great from the outside, but you're nothing more than a sepulcher full of dead man's bones uncleanness they they had it down on the outside you know what scares me sometimes is that it is easy to get the christian life down on the outside without having the inside in line it's easy it's easy in a sense it's easy in a sense that, that we could fake it, that we could just do some things that, that give the appearance. And, and literally, that's the word that's used, isn't it? Look at verse 28. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. It, it's an appearance. And to some degree, that's easy. Another sense, we'll talk about it in a moment, it's very hard. But in one sense, it's easy in the sense that you can try to fake it and you can fool people. That's, that's really where it's at. You can, that, that's what's easy. You can fool people. But you can never, ever, 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 ever fool God. You can. And my friend, he is the one you ought to seek to please. You see, even verse 5, in fact, here's their motive. Christ spells it out. Same chapter, verse number 5. Notice what he says. But all their works they do to be seen of men. There it is. I mean, it's obvious. Christ calls them on the carpet at the beginning. He says, you do it. Here's what you do. They, they adorn themselves, their Christian practices. Is it good to pray? Yes. Is it good to tithe? Yes. All those things are great that they were doing. But why do they do it? Wrong motive. So may I ask you this morning, how do you adorn yourself and why do you do it? What's your decoration as a Christian? What, do you, what, what, what does your life look like? What have you done as far as being a believer and, and doing obedience and things like that? Yes, obedience great. Those things ought to be heeded and followed. But why do you do it? And have you just worried about decorating the outside this morning because you care more about what others think about you rather than or more so than what God knows about you? And I would challenge you this morning, believer, that such a question, we need to write in our Bibles today. We need to write it on a sticky note. We need to put it up in a, on our mirror, the first mirror we look into every morning. And I recommend that, by the way. Look in a mirror every morning, okay? But you ought to put a post-it note with this question on there. Stick it on your mirror. Stick it on your coffee pot. Stick it on your steering wheel. You ought to ask yourself this question. And I'm, am I caring today about more, or caring today about what other people think about me more so than what God knows about me? Am I caring more today about what other people think about me than what my God knows about me? And I dare say this is one of our failures as Christians. We get so caught up with a common human concept of what does he think of me? What does she think of me? I just want to look good. I want to keep up a facade. I, I want this. And, and boy, social media hasn't helped. <laughs> we want to put up a fake what we are not. 
So do I care more about what people think about me than what God knows about me? Some of you there sitting right now, and some of you men probably, maybe some ladies do, you're saying, well, Pastor Henry, I just don't care what people think about me. It never crosses my mind. I couldn't care less what people think about me. And so in your mind, spiritually, you're thinking, well, I'm off the hook. Wrong. Because you know what the Pharisees also did? Now, don't miss this. Because some of us are here. We've gotten past what people think about us. We, we don't care what, what so-and-so, they can talk about me all they want. They can say that. I don't care. And we've gotten to that. That's great. You've, as we like to say, we've grown a thick skin. But you know what else the Pharisees did? Don't miss it. The Pharisees valued what they thought themselves to be more so than what God knew them to be. So you can leave people out of it, and you ought to write this question on your post-it note. Am I valuing what I think myself to be more so than what God knows me to be? Am I doing that? Pharisees did both. They needed two post-it notes on their mirror. Am I caring more about what people think of me more so than what God knows of me? And the number two, the Simple question is, if I don't care really what people think of me, okay, what do you care about what you think of you? What you're, you imagine, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than most. You know, when we make those statements, we might not say them, but we think them. And the fact is this, we value more of what we think we are than what God knows us to be. We're valuing that more. So it begs the question, these questions, to be answered. And the honest response ought to humble us and move us away each and every day from having the wrong motive when it comes to our adorning and decorating. Well, I've got to say the right things around them and I've got to do the right things around them. I don't want them to think this of me. Hey, friend, let's stop thinking in that realm. Let's start thinking in this realm. What does God know is in my heart? I want my heart to be right and perfect before Him. I, I want to do what pleases God. I want my heart to be in tune with Him. So what about it? How, how's your adorning this morning? What is it motivated by? Your words and your actions and your reactions, your expressions of who you are through the daily choices you make. What adornment, what decoration do you have up and why is it there? You see, everyone makes choices. And choices then in turn adorn us or decorate us. And then choices are made based upon your focus. What's your motive this morning? There's a second thing I'd quickly share with you. Where, where else do we fail? Well, a uh, second way. We fail in our wrong motives because we, we value like the Pharisees. We value what people think more so than what God knows me to be. Number two, uh, wrong tools. Don't miss this this morning. I think this is borne out so wonderfully well in this passage. What were the Pharisees well known for? Well, Christ alludes to it here. They were well known for both knowing and appearing to keep the law, the commands of God, the the instructions of God. That's what they were known for. If you ask the people that day, who who knows God, his law, and and keeps all the right standards and everything else? Man, the Pharisees. you You can't touch the Pharisees. You can't touch the scribes. They followed the law, and they did so in front of people as much as they could. We've seen that. You see, Christ even spoke of them keeping the minutia of the law, the smallest elements, uh, the, the smallest, uh, conceptually the littlest, uh, not a word, but the littlest uh, principles and teaching of the law. Verse 23, Christ speaks of it. They literally tithed of their spices, 
Now, how many of you would like to go home tonight and get 10% of your salt and bring it back? Your doctor would like it. How about 10% of your pepper? For those of you who like it, 10% of your hot sauce. I mean, you think that that's ludicrous, right? That's silly. Do you realize that that's literally what Christ is speaking of here? The Pharisees were so concerned in their mind. Look, and what would they have done? They'd bring it into the temple, their 10% of their, their herb, of their seasoning, and they'd bring it in and they'd sit it there and let everybody see me. Wow, that Pharisee even tithed. He even tithed of his, wow. Do you realize, don't, don't mistake this, understand the, the playing out of this in the church, okay? Pastor Henry knows, knows not one iota, not one ounce of who gives what financially. I don't. I, I don't know. All I know is what I give, my family gives. We have numbers. You're a number. Isn't that encouraging? That, that keeps it just between you and the, the, the person who keeps the records. That's, the only, that's it. We, we don't spread that in. When we go to Faith Promise, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't turned in Faith Promise card, you can do that at any time. But Faith Promise card, do we put our names? No. It's not for me to hold you accountable, neither is it for me to know what you're giving. I'm just here to encourage you to do what God's called you to do. It's not for someone else to know. And the Pharisees, boy, look at me, I'm I'm keeping the law and I'm doing it in front of everybody. I want them to see and and they would bring in their tithe of the minutia, of the the herbs and the spices. I mean, that's crazy. And do you realize what that was for them? Don't miss it. That was the tool in their mind. Look, I, I look like a pretty good Christian sitting down my little vial of salt. Others are mentioned here in verse 23, but my little herb, I'm setting that down. And, and look at me. And that became a wrong tool for them in their minds of an outward appearance. I, I would put it this way. Their works, their works that they did on the outside, you might look and say, wow, man, that's a, that's a, that's a good person. They're tithing of eating. I mean, I haven't even done that. They're tithing of their spices and their herbs and things like that. But God said the whole time throughout this chapter and others, there's a problem in the heart. In fact, I would put it in this simple statement. The outward compliance was present without inward content. There was outward compliance. If you saw me like, yeah, they're obeying the law and they have the law together and they're doing this and they're doing that. There was an outward compliance without inward content and boy is god so very concerned about the content of your heart this morning my heart this morning what's there what's it full of and yet today many of us i'd say yay many christians strive to live out the outward instructions and principles of the word of god without the right tools And they may, like the Pharisees and scribes, be somewhat successful on the outside for some time. But the foundation is not there. And all it produces is hypocrisy. Now listen to me. Let's just make this clear. Let's understand what we're talking about, specifically what Jesus Christ is saying. Is it good for you to come to church? Sure, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. More so, we have many chapters and verses describing that God has given us the gift of the local church 
so that you and I could be edified, built up, strengthened, exhorted, and, and challenged, provoked unto good works. We could go on and on. We did it in our study of the church. Hey, coming to church is, is good. It's a needed thing. But you know what church does? Coming to church does? It puts you in a position by which God can use other things to work on you. To grow you. Other people. Preaching, teaching, uh, doing things, serving. All of those things. So coming to church is good. But I'll tell you, my friend, if you and I think that everything is hunky-dory with us and God just because we darken the doorstep of the church, we have it all wrong. We come so that our hearts are in tune to God's heart. We hear from the heart of God. So that you and I can then in turn by our choices and our actions we can adorn and decorate ourselves that is befitting a child of the king. We look like him. Yes, it's good to come to church. Ought you? Sure, I'm a pastor. I'm going to tell you that. And you should. The Bible says so. But don't miss it. The reason you come to church is so God can do things in your heart and mind. And can grow us and do within us what we need to have done. See, when the foundation is there, when we just come to church out of duty, we'd be like the Pharisee. Well, look, I showed up Sunday morning. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough. (laughs) It's pretty harsh, Pastor Henry. It's not enough just to show up at church. You need to be engaged in church. You need to have your heart touched at church by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. By the music that is sung and presented, the truth, as we saw and mentioned a few messages ago, the truth that's found in the music ought to minister to us and grow us and change us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. That's why we come to church. And yes, it is an obedience, but if all you care about is, well, I did the checklist, I went to church this week, hallelujah, aren't I a good Christian, then we've missed it. Because I'll tell you right now, there's a whole bunch of people who just go to church. Has no impact. It is nothing in their hearts, and that's not God's desire. He wants you and I to have content, substance to us. You see, outward compliance to the commands of God is good and right, but it must be the product of inward heart content and substance instead of the product of superficial outward focus. Let me make this point, too. I think this is crucial because this happens, and we've seen this. Uh, If... being a fake, a hypocrite like the Pharisee and scribe, yeah, it's easy on one hand, but on the other hand, it's very difficult. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, if you met one of those Pharisees and scribes, I think it's borne out within Scripture, you would have found them to be austere. You would have found them to be, uh, how would I describe it? Austere, unhappy, sober-minded in a sense, very hard, and just seemingly without joy. May I tell you that's always the product of hypocrisy? You find someone who's playing the game, who's a hypocrite, and almost always in their trying to produce and maintain an outside that is not reflective of the inside, it is hard work. It is discouraging. It is draining work. It is depressing. It is overwhelming work. And such people are typically unhappy underneath they are unfulfilled and often frustrated why because it is hard to be something you aren't 
You know, there have been many a person who, who, who has committed a crime and they went uncaught for some time or uh, they have acted, uh, pretended to be something they weren't. And invariably, in some certain situations and cases, when they have been apprehended, they've been caught in it, you know what they've said? Whew. I'm glad that's over because it was too hard. Too hard acting, playing. Too hard being on the run, always looking over your shoulder. You know it's hard to be a hypocrite? Oh, it's easy to fool people, but it's hard to keep up the facade. If you're a fake Christian, what I mean by fake, you may be a believer, you may be saved, but all your obedience and adherence to the commands and principles of the Scripture are manufactured so that other people think highly of you. My friend, if you're living that Christian life, I feel sorry for you. That's not what God intended. God wants the Christian life to be lived from the inside out. And my friend, you'll find out when you do that, when our focus is the heart being right before God, it takes care of the outside. It falls into place. Christ said it himself. He explained that we focus here. Then the outside will come along also, he said. If the Pharisees were using the wrong tools then for producing a proper daily adornment, then it begs this question, as we need it for practical living, what are the tools that we ought to grab to help us to produce the adornment of the hidden man of the heart? How do we turn our focus inwardly? What is it that we need that will form the only sure foundation for the outward compliance to God's instruction that is produced by an inward content and substance to the heart? First of all, the obvious one, we spoke of it many times, and I'll just hit it briefly. We need to be in tune with the indwelling spirit. It is a resolution, a resolve that that with the Holy Spirit indwelling me, that I must lean on Him, that I must listen to Him, and I must learn of Him. Jesus Christ said it often. The, the fact is this. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our guard uh, against all sin, our guide into all truth, and He is to be the ground that produces the best fruit of our lives. See, He is our guard against all sin. He is our guide into all truth. And friend, He is the ground that is going to produce the best fruit in our lives. So you've got to be in tune to the Holy Spirit. And I find so very often many Christians don't understand and don't avail themselves of the ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The leading of the Holy Spirit. Guiding and directing, learning of Him, listening to Him. Number two, and we've hit that many times in messages, so we'll leave it there. Number two, uh, crucial, I think this is uh, important to note. We must never forget that it is the Word of God that renews our mind and renovates our heart. Nothing will change you outside of being saved like the Word of God. And frankly, I could make the argument that you are saved through the preaching of the Word of God. So the Word of God changes you. Yes, in salvation, but, but thereafter. Nothing is as powerful as the Word of God. We, we get that, and, and it's so crucial for us as believers to hear the Word of God preached, to study it ourselves, to memorize it, to learn it. Because that is one of the means that I turn my focus on the heart and not just on the outward compliance to Christian principles, duties, standards, whatever the case may be. But, now listen, don't miss this. And I think this is where we have a disconnect sometimes as believers. It requires the proper hand to wield the tool of the Word of God. 
say, what do you mean? Well, at home, I have a few different hammers, and one of them is a pretty hefty hammer. I don't know what they call it, a construction hammer or whatever, framing hammer, but it, it, it's a heavy hammer. It's many ounces, and it's a big hammer. Now, the reality is this. I could hand that to little Ryan, and I could put it in his hand, and you can imagine what that hammer would do. Bloop. He can't hold it up, and he probably can't hold it at all. If he did, maybe two hands would be on. And, and then if I said, okay, Ryan, nail that nail right into that. Could you imagine how fun that would be? That could be a good YouTube video. Anyway, uh, him trying to wield this big hammer and hit, I mean, you, it, it's not good. He doesn't have the hammer. But for me, thankfully, I'm a little bit more grown, have a little bit of more strength in my arm. I could grab that hammer, and I could put that nail there, and I could get the job done. I could do it, and I could put that nail into that board, whatever the case may be. Why? Because I have the proper man hand strength to handle the tool. Now, that brings us to number three, because the reality is you need number three to wield the tool of number two, the Word of God. What is that? I think we often miss this. We need a surrendered and submissive heart. You want to handle the Word of God correctly? You want to be able to wield it correctly in your own life and the life of others? You have to have a surrendered and submissive heart. You don't have that. You're going to come up often. Well, I just don't understand that passage. I'm just not getting anything out of my devotions. I just don't understand what he was trying to preach in that sermon. I just don't understand what this says. I don't get it. I don't see that there. I don't have it. May I ask you, the first question is not the Word of God has problems. The first question probably is, does your heart have problems? Is your heart surrendered and submitted to God? Because I'll tell you, my friend, when my heart is surrendered and submitted to the heart of God, to the will of God, it makes the Word of God come alive. When my heart is surrendered and submitted to the heart of God, the will of God, it makes the Word of God come alive. And I'll tell you right now, sometimes we as Christians, we fail to do any heart work, inside focus, because we're not handling the Word of God correct, and it's because we don't have a submitted and surrendered heart to God. Yeah. It's the hand that can be most effective with the Word of God. It's the obedience of a surrendered and submissive heart that is crucial for each one of us having the proper daily adornment in our lives. You know, the Bible throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, they reverberate with this truth. God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. He'd rather just have obedience. Obedience from the heart. Just do what's right. I mean, you think about that truth, and the reality is this. How do these Pharisees pick up the wrong tools? Well, the fact is this. If you had asked a Pharisee or a scribe, hey, what has following after God cost you? You know, they would have said, oh, you, let me just share with you a moment what I have sacrificed for being a Pharisee. I haven't eaten that, and I haven't touched that, and I dress this way, and I do this way, and boy, I, uh, I only do this, and I can't touch that, and, and I show up here every day, and I get up early to do this, and boy, they would gladly list everything they sacrificed in their estimation for following after God. And in living in such a way as they followed the minutia of the law, they, uh, they would have said, hey... I'm a pretty good follower of God. Others would look at them and say, ah, they're super pious. But you know what Christ said? They lacked a surrendered and submissive heart. We'll have to finish here, but 
Can I make this point? The Pharisees, if you'd ask the Pharisees and the scribes, are you surrendered and submitted to the Word of God? Oh, yeah, yeah. We sacrifice all the time for it. No, no, no. That's not what I asked. Are you surrendered and submitted to the Word of God? Because here's reality. Listen, if they were, when Jesus Christ came along and spoke the Word of God, they would have submitted and surrendered. See, if they had been practicing the right way from the inside out and said, you know what, all these Mosaic laws, we're doing it because God is holy. We're going to be holy because He is holy. And we want to have a heart that pleases Him. I don't care what the Israelites think, those people at the temple. I'm not worried about them. I'm only worried about what my God thinks. I want to have a submitted and surrendered heart that flows into a submitted and surrendered life before my God. My friend, if they had had that, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, the Pharisees would have rejoiced and said, Hallelujah. Because they would have understand the fulfillment, the word incarnate had just arrived. And they would have been surrendered and submitted to him alone. You see, we'll get to it. In fact, we're going to get to it tonight. Okay, this is one of these messages that's going to continue tonight, so you've got to come back. The fourth tool is this. This is what they were missing, okay? And uh, we'll, we won't expound upon it. We'll get into it tonight. The fourth tool. For proper adornment and decoration is a heart that loves God above all else and is devoted to Him more than anything else. My friend, you want to look and play and do the part of a Christian? Produce it without being a hypocrite. How do I do that? Take up these tools. So you know what? I'm going to have the right motive. Number one, I'm going to do it to please God. It's not about what others think. I care more about what God knows about me. And then number two, I'm going to pick up the right tools. I'm not going to pick up all these uh, obedience and uh, all these rules and standards and things, and I'm going to put them on the outside. No, 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 that's wrong tools. You can pick up the right tools. It will produce those things on the outside. Outward compliance will follow inward content, inward substance. What is the substance? Well, I'm going to be uh, yielded and commanded by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He will be my guide. He will be my guard. He will be the ground that produces the fruit of my life. Number two, I'm going to take God's Word. And I'm going to allow it to penetrate my heart, renovate my heart, and renew my thinking. I, God's Word will be my constant companion. And in order for it to do that, number three, I'm going to make sure that I have a surrendered and submitted heart to God in everything, every area, nothing held back. And then number four, we trust that you, as love is a choice, that you and I can produce and display in our hearts and lives a love for God above all else and a devotion to Him above anything else. My friend, you do that, and you will be the Christian that God has called you to be. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. I am so grateful for the challenge we've had in this passage. I look forward to tonight. I look forward to where we see a few more of these areas of failures, this tool expounded upon. Father, I'm grateful that we have the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables us, empowers us to live in such a way that pleases you. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. May we take full advantage of it. And Father, I pray every person here would look at their hearts right now in this invitation that we would be honest before you whether our hearts are truly surrendered and submitted lord may we make it right may we confess that this morning and then father i pray that we would develop and make the choice to have in us a love for you above all else a devotion to you that outstretches any devotion to anything else father i pray that right now in this moment you'd look into our hearts may we be honest about our motives why do we live the christian life 
Why do we do the Christian things that we do, the duties and the responsibility, the standards that we have? Father, may we be honest, and if we're doing it for others, may we get back to doing it for you. May daily we be more concerned about what you know us to be, having a pure heart, an honest heart before you. Father, we may not be able to be sin-free this side of heaven, but Father, we can certainly not be sin-focused. And so, Lord, help us in that. Help us to focus on holiness and being pure. To make sure our heart is right before you, that you would not describe us as whited sepulchers, that we would not be described as a cup and a platter that has the outside clean, but the inside is dirty. Lord, help us to be genuine, authentic Christians, believers, children of God this morning. Work in our hearts, and in this invitation as only you can. With heads bowed,